I think of Palm Sunday, and uh, maybe you guys too, I tend to think about celebration, and, and for me, it's scheduling songs that have the word Hosanna in them, right? Um, which is fitting when you're studying the scene when Jesus has his triumphal entry on a donkey and the people lay down palm branches and their cloaks and uh, as a sign of reverence, right, as they welcome the king of the Jews. Um, but today we're going to take that and kind of turn it on its head a little bit. We're going to study the part of Jesus' life on earth when the people called him the king of the Jews, uh, but it wasn't nicely, right? It was meant mockingly as they beat him senseless and took and he took all of that on himself for us for our sin um so again we are going to be continuing in our our series here uh called 700 years and uh we're going to be in the passage of isaiah 53 uh verse 4 through 9 and then later we're going to go into matthew 27 uh yeah it's actually 27 uh 27 through 31 um, so if you want to go and kind of dog ear uh, Matthew 27 and then open up to 53, we will get to that in a little bit. Um, but last week, Matt started into our new series uh, entitled 700 Years, our Easter series here, and he shared how beautifully uh, this prophecy that we'll be studying here in Isaiah 53 dovetails in with Jesus's life and how incredible it is that 700 years passed between when the prophecies in Isaiah 53 were spoken and when they were brought to fulfillment through Jesus. To put that into perspective a bit more, uh, parenting our kids can seem like it goes fast sometimes. Um, I was realizing that we only have 11 more school years until our daughter graduates, and she's giving me the stink eye right now. Um, But it's also one of the longest seasons that we get to experience while we're here on earth. And that roughly takes about 18 years, right, from, from infancy or, or birth until graduation. 700 years would be like raising a child from infancy to graduation at almost 39 times, back to back. Not like you have overlapping kids, like you got done with one and started another one, and you did that almost 39 times. So humanity had to wait almost 40 parenting journeys for this prophecy to come to fulfillment from Isaiah. Another way to think about it is 700 years ago was the year 1323. Anybody know what was going on in the 1300s? Well, I did the research for you. Um, So the beginning of the Renaissance era in Italy is what was happening 700 years ago. The Black Death or the bubonic plague was in Europe. Um, The Ming Dynasty in China was starting. Um, John Wycliffe translated the Latin Bible into English. So that's just some of the highlights from the 1300s, like around this time. Um, My point is that it was a really, really long time ago, right? And the sheer scale of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from the book of Isaiah alone are staggering. Um, So with the help of uh, gotquestions.com, which is a great website if you haven't been there before, Um, if you have any Bible questions, I haven't had anything come up even questionable uh, when I've gone there before. So with the help of gotquestions.com, I count at least 30 prophecies that are fulfilled by Jesus in the book of Isaiah alone. Um, So, and I feel like it's very valuable for us to actually see those um, this morning. So from 700 years earlier, let's just read through these together. And I've highlighted uh, the, the parts that obviously relate to Jesus here. So God promised a stone that would, that would, 
people would trip over. Jesus is that stone. God promised the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and uh, Galilee of the nations a light for their darkness. Jesus is that light. At the time of Jesus, Galilee was a mix of Jews and Gentiles. God promised David his spirit would rest on his offspring. Jesus is that offspring. Gentiles will come to God. A centurion and Syrophoenician woman came to, Je- came to Jesus. Uh, the Gentiles and uh, Paul's gospel message reached them as well. Uh, God's promise, or God promised a time when the blind would see, and Jesus healed the blind. Jesus healed the deaf. Jesus healed the lame. Jesus healed the mute, right? He just did all of these things. God promised a messenger who would announce the Lord's coming. John the Baptist is that messenger. God is the shepherd who tends his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. God promised to put his spirit on his servant. Jesus is that servant. God's servant will not cry out. Jesus told, or Jesus told those he healed to remain quiet. God's servant will be gentle. Jesus treated people gently. The nations will, be, will put their hope in God's servant's teaching. Nations put their hope in Jesus' teachings. God will send his servant as a light to the Gentiles. Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. The writer says he will not be rebellious or turn away. Jesus obeyed God all the way to the cross. And Isaiah speaks of one who will be beaten and spit upon. Jesus was beaten and spit upon. And this is where we get into the part of Isaiah that we are going to be studying today about the suffering servant. So let's let's continue with this. The suffering servant will be so abused, he will not look human. That's what we talked about last week with Matt, right? Jesus was beaten, whipped, crucified, and pierced by a spear. Suffering servant will be despised and rejected by his own people. Jesus' tormentors rejected him and spit in his face. The suffering servant will bear the abuse we deserve for our physical and spiritual healing. Jesus did this. The suffering servant will bear our sins. Jesus bore our sins. He's like a lamb that does not defend itself. Although Jesus spoke during his trials, he never offered a defense. His people did not protest his death. Only Pilate protested Jesus' death. He will die with the wicked. Jesus died with two thieves on either side of his cross. He will be buried in the grave of a rich man. Jesus was buried in the grave of a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. God ordained that the suffering servant would suffer and die. Jesus certainly did that. The suffering servant sacrificed offers forgiveness of sins. Jesus' sacrifice offers forgiveness of our sins. Suffering servant will intercede for his abusers. Jesus asked God to forgive those who crucified him on the cross as they were doing it. God promised a great light to pierce the darkness of Israel and the nations. Jesus is that light. God promises someone to declare good news for the brokenhearted, captives, prisoners. Jesus is that someone. And this is just Isaiah. <laughs> and the more that you study in Scripture, the more that you start to see it. And as the Spirit enlightens us to see different things, we see these connections that are made. Um, and we see where Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy more and more. So it's hard to even put a number to the amount of prophecies that Jesus has fulfilled uh, because of that. My point is this. The Bible is extremely reliable. On top of the prophecies we can study, the Bible just so happens to be unanimously accepted 
as the most reliable historical document ever written by scholars. It has more manuscripts than any other historical writing, and it's not even close. <clears throat> Granted, I know um, that the CSB is the translation that we use. Uh, it, it's uh, translated to more of a modern version of English than, say, like King James. Um, but it still reads incredibly well. Uh, and I think we take for granted the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. When we get into Isaiah 53 here today, um, you'll hear God writing this, right? Because God wrote this, Jesus wrote this, and it almost feels like a biography of what Jesus went through 700 years later. And it, it's spoken to us in our own language. Um, grant, the translators did a great job, but it feels like it's, it's spoken directly to us in our own vernacular. It's relevant, reliant, and readable. Even today, 700 years later. So Isaiah 53 specifically is especially relevant to current Jewish people, Jewish non-believers, Jewish believers. Many have never heard this passage if they're non-believers, and it's quietly considered the forbidden chapter, Isaiah 53 is. Let's take a second and just listen to this testimony of a, Jew, a Jewish woman uh, about her experience with this chapter. Jesus, my mom says, what did you say? My mouth. And I, I'm singing the song. She's like, Lombrim Jesus. We don't say Jesus. But why? In Hebrew, she says, Zeyeshu. I grew up not being able to say that name. At my school, I worked at an after-school program. And there was a woman um, that had wrote, written a book called Jesus, Can I Talk to You? So she said to me, I don't have money to hire an editor. Would you help me edit my book? And I said, well, I don't know anything about Jesus. So I do know about writing. I know about English. I know about commas. I know about semicolons. I just don't know anything about Jesus. It was a lot of stuff from the Old Testament. And I'm like, um, and, and I would see things like, you know, uh, this is from Ecclesiastes or this is from, you know, Samuel or Kings. And I was like, these are our, our books. This came from the Jewish Bible. I never read the Bible. I read about the fact that he would be pierced, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And for the first time, the Bible came alive to me, and it's Isaiah 53. And, you know, I said, how can you miss this? It's like right there. It's right there in the scripture, in our, in our book. So what is it about this passage that makes non-believing Jewish people so uncomfortable? Let's, let's read Isaiah 53 together. I've got the whole thing on the screen here. Um, and I just, So just go ahead and turn there, but it's up on the screen too. Um, I've gone ahead and added emphasis on the areas that Jesus took upon himself as our Messiah. Okay, so let's just, let's, let's pray before we read here. God, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you that you spoke it so long ago, and yet it is so relevant right here and now, and thank you for showing us that your word is relevant and reliant, and the reason why that's important is because what we're about to read actually did happen, historically, physically, 
to a human being, and that human was you, Jesus. And so we just want to see this for what it is, that it's beautiful. And what you did for us was hard. And so, God, we just want to take it in with fresh eyes and help us to see it with your spirit. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Let's read this together. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 9. It says, Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished, or punishment for our peace was on him. He took that on him. And we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers. He did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? That phrase, taken away, just imagine that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane talking with his father, having an intimate moment, and he was taken to be whipped, crucified, and killed. He was taken away from those he loved. He was taken away from his father because of our sin. For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. This is God talking. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Do you notice in the last part of this that God speaks in the past tense? It says, for he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. God is outside of time. God is the creator of absolutely everything, and he sees everything from his perspective. So from his perspective, when he spoke this into writing, this had already happened. <laughs> he already knew what Jesus was going to go through, his own son. And he had felt that on a fatherly level. And then he wrote this. He, for he was cut off from the land of living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. So to anybody who says that Jesus is, or that God is some kind of abuser, or Jesus is a masochist, or anything like this, no, he felt it. God felt what happened to Jesus. He was his son. He was his only son. And it's hard for us to understand that, but it's true. So that's the prophecy, right? In Isaiah 53, the 700 years prior. Now let's read the true historical account of what happened 700 years later. Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldier took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand, mockingly. They knelt down before him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spat on him 
took the staff and kept hitting him on the head, pounding those thorns into his head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him, to take him to the worst death imaginable at that time. This was as creative as they could have gotten with death. It was the most painful way to go. Jesus understood the assignment. Earlier we talked about the garden. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was about to happen to him. And he still submitted to God. You can imagine the anxiety that he felt knowing what was about to happen. That all of this that we, that we read in both accounts, all of this was about to happen to him. Luke 22 puts it best, I think, when it gives that account in Gethsemane. It says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from the heavens appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So Jesus asks probably the biggest prayer request ever, right? So if you ever think that your prayer request is too big, look here. Because he asked if God would take this cup from him. Is there any way that I could not die for these people? These people that don't deserve it. But ultimately, this is the other half of how we should pray. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Give me peace within your will. But God, this is what I'm asking for. And it's big. And what did God say to him? He said no. He said you're going to go on the cross anyway. Isaac or Abraham put up his son Isaac on the altar, and God rescued him before it could happen. God went through with it for us. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And even then, even after an angel came down, we, we think of the, the account of Elijah in the woods, right? He, he was given an angel that gave him food and rest, and then tried again, food and rest, and then that was enough for him to get up and, and go. Jesus was given an angel in the Garden of Gethsemane, but even then, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently. So he continued to ask for this. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now there's some debate on this, on whether or not he literally physically sweat blood, but there is a physical ailment where when you have high enough anxiety, blood comes through your pores. It's an actual physical thing that can happen to you. So there's a case to be made that this might have actually been what happened. He understood the assignment. He knew what was about to happen. And I really want to hone in on this part where the, the crown is pounded into Jesus' head. So let's go back to that passage. It says, they twisted together, in verse 29 here of, of Matthew 27, it says, they twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. 
And then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head where those thorns were. Imagine as a human being that you are going through that. Just for a second, because who should have to? Blinding concussions. You're getting hit with this rod. If you've ever been hit in the head, it's not fun. Your ears start to ring. You get that shell-shocked feel, right? So you've got blinding concussions, probably seeing spots, right? Have you ever gotten a really bad cut? Have you ever been cut by a dull blade and you feel what that's like? Now imagine that's the whole crown being pounded into your head. And I don't know if your kids have ever had a head wound, but they doesn't stop bleeding quickly, right? And on top of all the physical parts of that, there's the emotional aspect of it, that he's lo- he loves these people. These people that are abusing him and killing him, he's looking them in the eyes with love. Somehow, the humiliating abuse that he went through in that moment is unspeakable. We can't even try to fathom what Jesus went through in that moment. So that brings us to our last point here, that the king was humiliated by those that he loved. They knelt down before him, mocked him, said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. The same phrase, Hail, King of the Jews, the same phrase that the king's people used to praise him as he entered in on a donkey with palm branches saying, Hosanna to God in the highest. As they came in, is the same phrase that they used to mock him and beat him senseless before taking him to the cross. But Jesus... Jesus still loved them as they did it. Jesus prayed for the people as they crucified him, saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They didn't have the whole picture, but he did. He's God. Jesus' sacrifice matters to each of us because he wore each and every one of our sins on himself when he died on the cross. He experienced separation from God. We can't even fathom that, that he wore all of that sin on his body. And because of the sin, he didn't have communion with God, which is the scariest part of hell, right? We hear about the gnashing of teeth and all that. The worst part of hell is that it's not with God. That you have eternity and no hope of being with God. That's what Jesus experienced in this moment when he died for us. That, that he would lose that intimate connection with his heavenly father for us. That he willingly did that for us as an act of love. With all the intensity that was used by those soldiers when they mocked him and they beat him, and the crowds of people yelling, crucify him, even when they were asked, are you sure? And they said, yes, crucify him. We are called to worship Jesus with equal and opposite degree of intensity. We're called to join the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty who was and is and is to come. Not later, now. We're followers of Jesus, and he did this for us. How can we not? 
How can we not give everything we have in worship and study of his word and action and parenting our kids and loving our spouses? How can we not? I'm going to end with this. It's Revelation 5, 9 through 13. This is what we're called to join in on. Verse 9, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Amen. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, everything in them say blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. God, we want to join in with that. With everything in us, God, you deserve that. What you went through for us was horrendous. And it truly was grace because we did nothing to deserve that. We did nothing to deserve the sacrifice that you gave us. That you would lovingly and willingly give everything, give your connection to your own heavenly Father, give your body up as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. So it's all we can do, King Jesus, to bring you praise. So help us to do that with one voice as loud as we can today. Help us to worship you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You guys stand and let's worship.